Last week, as Pastor Steve said, of Talks with Jesus, and it's been really wonderful to see how Jesus turned everyday situations into life-giving moments, hasn't it? I mean, uh, he healed people, he encouraged people, he led them to know him as their Savior, and uh, it changed their lives. We see that as he ministered to people, that it changed those people's lives. And we've seen how we can do the same in a world around us that's broken and hurting, in desperate need of knowing Jesus, we are also commissioned with the task of letting them know about Jesus. We can speak life into situations of our coworkers, of our family, of our neighbors. And God gives us opportunities uh, all the time where we can pray for people and, and pray that they're restored and healed and encourage them also and lead them to know Jesus. One of the things that we see as we've looked at this series is how Jesus reached out to those around him and uh, he showed love and acceptance he healed and he didn't condemn Uh, you could see that here comes someone to him who's a mess he heals them and he sends them on their way and and one of the things he after he says your faith has made you whole now go and sin no more so he he waits until they're healed and stronger he doesn't hit them up first with like you got to fix your life up he ministers to them and serves them and we have that wonderful ministry too You know, we can show God's love to the world around us. And today, we are looking uh, for our last conversation. There's many more. You can read through the Gospels and get the rest of them on your own. Um, We're looking at the conversation Jesus had with Peter at the end of John chapter 21. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to John 21, starting at verse 15. And just to set the stage here, he had actually appeared to the disciples a couple of times before this. He had been raised from the dead. People knew he was alive. He came two different times and met with the disciples. Uh, they, At the beginning of this chapter, for some reason, after a couple of weeks, they decide, you know what, let's go out and go fishing. And they're going to go fishing all night, and they don't have any success. They have an empty net, an empty boat. And Jesus comes and appears to them and says, Put the net on the right side of the boat. And they get so many fish, they can't even haul in the net. Wouldn't that be a great kind of thing? Anybody out there who fishes, wouldn't that be awesome? So many fish, you can't haul in the net. And then they run ashore. Peter jumps out of the boat, and they all run ashore. And they uh, have breakfast with Jesus, fish and bread. That's a not the kind of breakfast I would have wanted, but they seem to really get into it. And as we start reading, they're, they're finishing eating. So let's start John 21, starting in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. 
Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Uh, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die, but Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well, and if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books to be written. So the theme of this message today, besides him speaking with Peter, is how to have a future after failure. A future after failure. Uh, A future of hope and God's grace in your life. So a question for all of you. Uh, have you ever messed up at work, like made a big mistake, or, or maybe you messed up in a relationship so much so that you feel like you don't have any confidence about that anymore? Like maybe you're worried that you might, you would maybe at that time, you might have lost your job you were worried maybe, or maybe you're worried you might lose a friendship. Have, have any of you ever had that experience? Oh, Yeah. Uh, Pretty much all of us have, right? No perfect people here, right? (laughs) So Peter here is in a spot like that in this chapter. uh, After Jesus was arrested, before he was crucified, um, Peter pretended he didn't even know Jesus. He's out there in the courtyard watching these proceedings, and he's like, yeah, I don't know who that is. And he denied it three times. Uh, He even swore at the people who said, yes, you're one of those followers, I know. In fact, let's just look at that and see what did he go through in Luke twenty-two fifty-four to 62. Then seizing him, they led him away. He's talking about Jesus and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. And about an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. So you see that Peter had had really blown it. You know, he messed up at work big time, right? And he's such a big talker too. I mean, before all this happened, he's talking to Jesus and he said, Lord, if, if everyone else falls away, if everyone else lets you down, I'm not going to. I'll even lay down my life for you. And then this all happened, and Peter denies Jesus. And not only did he deny Jesus, but he also denied himself by that. And here in John 21, many days later, after the resurrection, Peter has been with those disciples, those two times that that Jesus appeared to to them. And uh, he's seen Jesus 
And he knows that Jesus has been in the midst, but he's mostly still dealing, most likely dealing with feelings of failure, feelings that he really blew it. And so the purpose of Jesus talking to him here is is to encourage him and show Peter that, yes, he has a future after failure. So what about us? At times when we failed, at times when we've blown it, at times when we've sinned, I mean, maybe we did something that we feel like, you know, it really wasn't sin, but it, it didn't really, it didn't really show my best. So do we allow those thoughts in our head then to just sit there that not only have we failed, but we are a failure? I mean, that's something a lot of people get to. They, they blow it and they think, you know, I, I didn't just fail. I am a failure. And then allow themselves to get beat down emotionally and mentally. So do we do that? No. We don't want to do that. We want to set those things aside, lay them at the foot of the cross, because we do have a future after failure. And one of the things we can say is, how do we have that future after failure? One, we have to admit that we actually failed. I mean, we admit our failure. Uh, You can't get over something if you don't admit it. And so we say, okay, yes, I failed, or I made a mistake, or I sinned, and then learn from it. And if you have problems admitting, like some people really have a problem admitting they did something wrong. They, they feel like, you know what, uh, I'm not, I, no, I didn't do that. And they have a trouble admitting it. And that's probably because when we were young, some of us grew up with parents and teachers that wouldn't accept failure. That was not an option. It was all about performance, being perfect. And, and if you didn't live up to that, you got punished. Or you got yelled at. And failure was something, therefore, you didn't want to admit to because if you admitted to it, man, you were in big trouble. And so you grew up with that feeling like, I can't ever admit I did something wrong. I can't admit I've, I've, uh, I've, I've messed up. You're scared of what would happen or you're embarrassed. And as adults, sometimes we feel like, well, you know, we might lose our job. If we admitted we made a mistake, boy, it'd be, you know, forget that job you're gonna get fired maybe or maybe you feel like you know if you appear less than perfect with a friend and admit you did something wrong that you'll lose that friend or that you'll get yelled at or even worse today sometimes people feel like you know what if if I admit it someone will post that on social media and author Jake Wood said failure is another emotion I cannot stand to feel Because in adult life, I have conditioned myself not to fail at anything. Failure takes me straight back to the feelings of worthlessness I grew up with as a stammering, reclusive little boy. So my question is, why does failure make people feel like that? You know, he says he feels like worthless. He felt worthless when that happened. What do you think? Why does failure make people feel like that? Okay, yeah. And so you feel like you've been evaluated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any other reasons why failure makes you feel worthless? Fear of rejection. Fear of rejection, yeah. All of these are really right. And, and there's failure where we make mistakes. And there's also failure where we fail to do right, okay? 
there's mistakes and then there's sin. But you know what? The enemy, Satan, uses those to mess with us and tell us that we're worthless. That's not from God. That is a lie of the enemy. And he tells us we're no good or that we won't amount to anything or or you know what? Are you kidding? You are sure not that person you're claiming you you are. And so God doesn't say that to us. That's not from God. And he desires us to be restored to him. If we sin, he wants us to be uh, repentant and come back to him. He doesn't yell at us or tell us how bad we are. He doesn't walk out on us, and he doesn't shame us. That's not God. He gently, through the power of the Holy Spirit, draws us back to him. I mean, I know there's been times that I've sinned in my life. I mean, okay, let's be honest. We all have. Um, but when I do something and, I'm, and I've sinned, and maybe I didn't want to admit it was sin at first because I felt like, you know, I was kind of justified in that. It's not really sin. And then the Holy Spirit comes and so gently draws you back. If it's shame, that's not from God. That's from the enemy. But God doesn't do that to us. He gently draws us back to him. Jesus here in this passage, he doesn't yell at Peter and say, what were you thinking, dude? I saw you. I turned around and saw you. No, he doesn't tell him that. He, he doesn't tell him he was disappointed with him. He doesn't tell, tell him, you know what? You messed up so bad, you are off the list of apostles, dude. He doesn't tell him that, uh, you know, there's no hope. He actually creates a way for Peter to come back and be restored in his relationship with God, restored in, in fellowship with Jesus. And, I mean, think about it. In the Bible, there's all these big names like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I mean, you could go on and on and on through the Old Testament. And these guys all failed, all messed up, all sinned in the in their walk with God, and yet they continued on with that relationship with God. They didn't throw in the towel. They got right with God and moved on, and they didn't get overwhelmed by by their failure. King David is a good example of someone like this, isn't he? I mean, here's a man who, when he spoke to the prophet Samuel, God spoke to the prophet Samuel and said, David is a man after my own heart. And then we read later that David, oh my goodness, he has an adulterous relationship and the woman gets pregnant and then he has her husband killed and brings her to the castle. I mean, okay, that's like a big deal. Uh, that's really terrible. And and then Nathan comes, this prophet Nathan comes and confronts him and says, you know what, you've sinned. And in 2 Samuel twelve thirteen, David said to Samuel, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. See, David admitted that he had done wrong. Um, but more than that, he, you can tell he repented of the wrong he had done. And he got before the Lord. He got on his knees and prayed and asked God to change him. Psalm 51, starting at verse 1, says, This is David writing after this happened. He wrote this to the Lord. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sins. For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Then drop down to verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me 
a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. See, David comes before God, and in sorrow and repentance, he cries out to God for forgiveness. And Peter, also in the account of disowning Jesus, wept bitterly. There was sorrow for his actions. He, he was repentant. And in 2 Corinthians 7.10, it tells us that godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See, we don't just feel bad we got caught. We have sorrow. We allow ourselves to be grieved by the Holy Spirit that we sinned and we don't want to do it anymore. So repentance means not only do I feel grieved by my sin, but I turn and I turn away from it and I don't want to do it anymore. We turn away from that behavior. But we can't let failure or fear of being wrong or fear of being called out hold us back from restoring our relationship with God and with others. And as parents, we also need to create room for our children to learn about this. We need to teach them how to respond and create this this way for them to admit a failure. We don't want to punish mistakes, okay? Um, A mistake. Like when I was little, I dropped a bottle of milk, and boy, did I get in trouble. And I didn't do that on purpose. And we don't want to do that with our kids. We don't want to punish them for mistakes, only for rebellion. When they're rebellious, that's what they need to be punished for. And so when they make a mistake, we need to correct with love, but not shame, right? And allow them to get right with us and with others. Failure sometimes feels like it's permanent doesn't it? It feels like, man, I I messed up and there's just no coming back. But it isn't. It isn't permanent. We can learn from those failures and allow God to use them in our life to help us to grow and mature through them. And many times, you'll think back over your life, many times it's the failures you learn the most from. You learn how to grow beyond it and how to uh, allow it to teach you about how to respond the next time, how to handle it the next time. Failures actually can be powerful learning experiences. Thomas Edison was an inventor, and uh, we've all heard of him, right? He invented the light bulb. I I don't know if he invented... He did not invent that kind, though, but he invented the regular light bulb. And uh, if you know this about him, he actually made 1,000 unsuccessful attempts at developing that light bulb before he finally got one that worked. And a reporter asked him at that time, well, how did it feel to fail 1,000 times? And Edison replied, I didn't fail 1,000 times. The light bulb was an invention with 1,000 steps. So if we see our failures and our sins as part of that process of becoming like Jesus and becoming what we were meant to be, allow God to use that in our life, to to lay those things down before him and use those to help us become more like Jesus Christ, we're going to be able to be the person that God created us to be. So we need to admit our failure. And then second, to have a future from failure We need to move forward and follow Jesus, okay? Jesus didn't leave Peter in that state of despair, like, man, I blew it. He didn't didn't leave him wondering what happened on that, you know, like, is Jesus going to say anything? No, he, he didn't, and he didn't make him wait for a few months to see if he was getting it right, if he was back on track. No, 
He saw Peter's heart here, and he encouraged him and said things to him to help bring him back to him. And he, he went through this process again. I think it's so cool in here. He tells him to follow him again. It's like he reinstates him by re-saying the thing he said at the beginning of this three-year journey of being a disciple. He tells Peter again, follow me, follow me. And it created a way for Peter to move forward with him. For us, if we continue to think about our problems, our sins, and just worry about them and think how, you know, man, I, what about that? Like, <laughs> how am I going to look forward to the future? When we do that, we are allowing the devil to mess with us. And uh, he's going to get in our minds and he's going to try and make us be consumed by those failures, consumed by those sins. And each one of us needs to take that, that failure, that sin, whatever it is, take it to the cross and leave it there. Allow that sin, that failure to be crucified on the cross with, with the work of the cross. And ask God to crucify those behaviors, those attitudes that are not from him any negative, any sinful behavior, and leave it with Jesus Christ. And then we want to ask Jesus, wash off all of that junk, all those lies of the enemy, all of that sinful behavior, all of that failure, all of that stuff. Wash it off by the blood of the cross and instead resurrect in us those things, those right behaviors, those things that need to happen in us to make us more like Jesus Christ. And once you have done that, if you start having those negative thoughts again and you start having anxiety over that stuff in your life, that is not from God. That is from the enemy and you need to take that and turn those thoughts over to Jesus Christ. Say, Lord, I'm having this fear again. I'm having this anxiety again. I'm having these feelings again of worthlessness. Lord, I just surrender it over to you. Lord, wash that off of me. And we have scriptural uh, validation for that because 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So God is telling us, don't let the enemy mess with your mind. If you get junk like that, lies of the enemy in your head, take them captive to Jesus Christ. That means that I take that and I say, God, remove that off of me. And then it's really a battle in our minds, right? And, and you want Jesus Christ to be victor over that for you. So you turn it over to him. Allow him to remove that from your head from your mind, from your soul, to get that out of there, all those lies, and, and say, God, demolish that argument and that pretension that is coming against me. Because those lies about who we are and our worth and our value, we don't want to be believing those. We want to turn that over to Jesus Christ and ask him instead to replace it with his thoughts for us. And Jesus talks with Peter and that's what he's trying to do for Peter. He asks him three questions. Three times he asks of him, do you love me? The first time he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And I think it's because he went back to fishing. You know, uh, two weeks later, he's back in the boat fishing, okay? And so Jesus says, do you love me more than these? He's saying, do you love me more than this lake, this boat, these nets, these fish? Do you love me more than this way of life? And when we fail, we can't give up on the call on our life. We can't think, well, man, I, I guess I'll never be able to do that now. 
We need to continue to follow Jesus Christ and go back to where we were. Go to that point where that, that failure, that sin occurred and ask God to remove that off of you and ask him to refill you with the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to go ahead and do, move forward with him, follow him and do what he's called you to do. Because if God, if God called you to it, you need to get right with him and continue to follow him. And then Jesus says to him again, um, do you love me, Peter? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says, then take care of my sheep, shepherd my followers. And the last time Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? It says that Peter was actually hurt by it. But I think Jesus had a reason. If Peter denied him three times, He's asking him three times, do you love me? He's reinstating him. It's getting in Peter's spirit about how Jesus called him back three times. And to say, feed my sheep and, and take care of my, my sheep, he's saying, shepherd these followers of Jesus Christ. Nourish them with the word of God. He's restoring him to the ministry he's called him to. And then Jesus is telling him, move forward, minister to the body of Christ. After that, Jesus shares a, uh, with Peter a prophetic word about his future. And it seems like, you know, okay. Peter's like thinking, well, what about him? This guy back here, what about John? And that shows us our third point, and that's don't compare yourself with others. If you want to have a future after failure, don't be looking to other people and comparing yourself with others. Because we can look around and see other people and say, well, why are they so blessed? Or why don't they have this problem like I do? Or, uh, or maybe we think it's just not fair. I mean, maybe someone wronged you. Maybe someone sinned against you. And you can't figure out why they haven't gotten punished yet. Why are they still out there having a good life? And, uh, or maybe you think, well, how'd they get ahead of me on the job? I mean, I started before they did. How come they got promoted? How come I didn't get promoted? Here's the thing about comparison. No matter what it is that you're comparing yourself to others and looking at them and comparing yourself to it, you know what? Comparison is only going to drive us away from what God has for us. Comparison will drive you away from what God has for you because of this. It takes your eyes off of Jesus and puts them on other people and yourself. You're no longer looking at Jesus Christ. You're looking at the other people and you're looking at yourself. Comparison is going to hold you back from what God has for you. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says, We do not dare classify or compare ourselves with someone who commends themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. So here it is in Scripture telling us, don't be comparing yourself. It's not wise. The only person that we want to make a comparison with is Jesus Christ. We want our eyes on him because we want to be more like Jesus every day. And we want to ask him for the strength to do that. Uh, it says in the Scripture, for in Galatians 3:27 For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Now this is a spiritual thing he's talking about. We want to be clothed with Jesus. And that means that in the morning when I get up and I take my shower and I get dressed with my clothes, my shirt, my slacks, my whatever else I'm wearing, just like that, I want to spiritually prepare myself for the day 
by putting on Jesus Christ. That means that I want him to fill me with his power. I want him to cover me with his grace. I want to be like Jesus Christ that day. And the only way I'm going to be able to do that is to spend some time reading the word of God and spend some time praying at the beginning of each day and ask Jesus Christ, Lord, clothe me with yourself. Give me your power to meet those people that I see at my job. Help me to be Jesus Christ to the people around me. As I interact with everyone today, help me be like you. I want to be clothed like Jesus Christ. So this is how we have that future after failure. We admit we did wrong. We move forward by following Jesus Christ. And we don't look at others at Jesus. Would you stand with me as we close? There's actually two responses for us today that I see here. And I just ask you to just bow your head and listen to what God's telling you. Some of you might be dealing with the fear of failure and you don't want to admit that you've handled things in a bad way or maybe even a sinful way. And today, God is asking you to give that fear to him and get right with him and ask him to remove that off you so you can move forward. Just to everyone's heads bowed, if you sense that's you and that's a response you need to make today between you and God, just just raise your hand. Okay, thank you. Let's pray. God, I, I break any agreement with that spirit of fear. And, Lord, that it's kept me from admitting failure or sin, and I give it to you. Lord God, I pray that you'd wash off that junk of the enemy and wash off that negative behavior. Lord, we just submit it to the blood of the cross, and we ask you, Father, instead to fill us up with your Holy Spirit. Give us the power and ability to follow you and do what you've called us to. Lord, remove that fear. Help us not to respond to it. Help us not to listen to it. Help us to leave it in your hands. And when the enemy comes and tries to mess with us, Lord God, I pray that we would turn it over to you, that every one of those negative thoughts from the enemy would be held captive by Jesus Christ and removed off of us. Lord, that you demolish that, that the voice we hear wouldn't be that lie from Satan, but it would be the truth from God in Jesus' name. Okay, the... Second response for us today, just just maybe bow your head and think about this. It's to stop looking at others for our acceptance and our confidence. Maybe this is something you've been struggling with. And you could have been wounded. You're unable to hear God's voice because you're, you're really getting your acceptance from others instead of from him. We need to stop that comparison. We need to put down that behavior and pick up the call of God on our lives and clothe ourselves with Jesus Christ and follow him. If God is speaking to you today about getting your acceptance and confidence from him, clothing yourself with him, just raise your hand. Okay, thank you. Lord, we, we realize that in many ways, all of us, we look to others for our acceptance and our confidence. And Lord, we know that we have to find that primarily from you. Lord God, as we look to you, that you would confirm in us what you've called us to do, that we would find our acceptance there. 
Lord God, we want to clothe ourselves with Jesus Christ. We want to be like him. We want to find our peace and our joy and our worth in you, Lord God. Father, I pray that you would continue to work in our hearts and our lives. Help us, Lord, to not be held back by the mistakes, the failures, the sins. The enemy would want us to believe that it's, it's done. We can't, you know, we're stuck with it. We can't move on. But, Lord, your word is full of opportunities to be redeemed and restored. And, Father, I just pray that you would use each of us in a powerful way this week, Lord God, to become more like Jesus Christ in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, maybe some of you are, are thinking, you know, I just want a little bit of time to, to talk to God myself. And so I just ask that the rest of you just allow that, you know, just quietly. If you need to leave, leave. But just spend some time between you and Jesus and pray and ask him to change you and to make you be more like him and to get rid of anything in your life that is blocking that. And just pray in your seats or you can pray up here in the front. If you want someone to pray with you, please come forward. We will anoint you with oil and pray over you too. But uh, just take this time just to see if God has anything else for you today.